Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Julie R. and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, May 1st, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Meeting. Today we are reading from the big book and we are on page 33, starting with the second paragraph. Our readers today are Meg F., Becky K., Wendy M. The share ID for Sunday, April 30th is 9891. For Monday, May 1st, 7 a.m. meeting, Eastern Standard Time, it's 9893. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through, sh- through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. A division for you big book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Deborah Kay to read the 12 steps. Thank you. Good morning. This is Deborah Kay from Oregon. I am a compulsive overeater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made a direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure or others, injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Deborah Kay. I will now ask Libby E. to read the 12 Traditions. Thank you, Julie. Good morning. I'm Libby E., compulsive eater in New York. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, 
Each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Libby E. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 33. The second paragraph, starting with young people may be encouraged, We'll be reading through the second paragraph, and comments will be on both. I will now ask Meg F. to begin reading. Good morning, Julie. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Thanks. Good morning, everybody. Um, This is Meg F. in Northern California, Recover Compulsive Overeater. Young people may be encouraged by this man's experience to think that they can stop, as he did, on their own willpower. We doubt if many of them can do it because none will really want to stop, and hardly one of them, because of the peculiar mental twist already acquired, will find he can win out. Several of our crowd, men of 30 or less, had been drinking for only a few years, but they found themselves as helpless as those who had been drinking 20 years. To be gravely affected, one does not necessarily have to drink a long time nor take the quantities some of us have. This is particularly true of women. Potential female alcoholics often turn into the real thing and are gone beyond recall in a few years. Certain drinkers who would be greatly insulted if called alcoholics are astonished at their inability to stop. We who are familiar with the symptoms see large numbers of potential alcoholics among young people everywhere, but try to get them to see it. Wow. Wow, Meg F. Checking in about this, young people. I was really young when I got 
and I found program. I have no idea how I found program. Um, a hairdresser, some really overweight hairdresser, and I ended up at a meeting somewhere in some room, and I have no memory of anything except for I was 16, and I was in a room of people, and I knew I belonged there right away. So that was true that I knew I belonged there, but I was just listening to the traditions, and Traditions 3 says, you know, the requirement is a desire to stop. And I only wanted to not be fat. I had never any thought of a desire to not overeat. I didn't want to not use compulsively and turn my life and my will over to God and be relieved of the obsession. I didn't, I just didn't want to be fat and I didn't want the consequences of eating a dozen donuts rather than one. And I knew immediately that I was different. I knew that immediately. So it says that the, um, some would, because of the peculiar mental twist already acquired, will find he can't win out. I hardly ever tried to win. I, I really didn't diet much. I fasted like four separate times, um, maybe three separate times for really long periods of times, months. Um, but I never really tried to diet because I never could, never even thought I could, didn't even want to. If I was eating, I was eating. Um, several of our crowd had been, you know, 30 or less. This I've read over the weekend and was thinking about and was really affected about um, male part of it, the female part of it, you know, male alcoholics, female alcoholics. And it seems that when they wrote the book, only extremely low bottom women came. And that was my impression of why the numbers were like they were. And um, women in our society are so impacted by body image that I just feel like we come in droves, but maybe for different reasons. And then I looked up gravely affected, gravely, the degree that gives cause for alarm, to degree that gives cause for alarm. Yeah, that was true. And then affected, influenced or touched by an external factor. And it was apparent to me at age five at my girlfriend's house with the cereal and the milk that one was going to run out first. There, there was no other determination of when I would stop eating cereal. Now she would just have her bowl, leave some of it at the bottom and certainly the milk with all the sugar in it, she didn't finish. And it never made any sense to me. And I would sit there and tell either embarrassment or one of the objects ran out and I could no longer continue. It didn't have anything to do with, with hunger. There was no satiation. And also it was, interesting to me, and I think it's really been my downfall and may still be a downfall of mine, that I didn't have an enormous amount of weight. But that didn't matter. The mood, I was affected. I was influenced. I was terrified. Um, food affected me. It just had that power over me. And it affected my mood, my interior, my self-esteem. The way I ate affected everything about me. And it was just so incredibly disturbing and it was 20 pounds it was 25 pounds it was 30 pounds you know like it got to be 70 pounds but that took a decade but I was just as affected when it was seven pounds because it just took over you know you could hide it and kind of pretend it wasn't there as much but as it was happening it was just as bad and with that I'll turn it over to you lovely visionaries thank you for having me Thank you, Meg F. And who would like to share on these two paragraphs on page 33? Carrie K. Terry K. Charles H. Charles H. 
John K. John K. I'm not sure if you got to hear me. This is Carrie K. Yeah, you're first. Uh, Anyone else after John K? Oh, you have to say your name again. Stephanie N. I heard Stephanie, but there's somebody before Stephanie, so I can't get the name, but I will put a placeholder. Okay, go ahead, Carrie K., followed by Charles H. Hi, thank you so much. This is Carrie K., recovered in Boulder, Colorado. Um, The one phrase that sticks out to me every time we read it throughout the book, because it is throughout the book, is this twist of the mind. And I, like many other people, always thought I could do it myself. I always said, okay, enough is enough. Tomorrow you're going to stop. Well, rarely did tomorrow come, but on those rare occasions that I actually did try, um, it never ever sunk in that there was this part of my head that kept saying, it's okay. It's okay to eat just one. Everybody else eats just one. Why can't you? Of course you can. But then having this abnormal response, there was no such thing as eating just one. Because as soon as I ate one, then I had two and then four and then six and then 27 and 63 or however many there were left to eat until I could find something else to eat. So the thought that I could do it on my own and the thought that I was like other, quote, normal people who didn't have this eating disorder, this compulsion of the mind and this abnormal response of the body. That was the biggest eye-opener for me when I joined this fellowship, that there was something different about me than there were about other people who didn't suffer the same disorder, that I can't have one. And so thinking that I can do it myself just leads to failure. Thinking that I can take that first compulsive bite and then not end up eating for the rest of the day or the rest of the week or for the next three months. I had to learn all those things, unfortunately, the hard way, that I have an eating disorder, that my head says it's okay and my body says let's eat more. And until I came to recognize that and to accept that and to address that, I was simply doomed. But fortunately, I found that path of going, there's no first compulsive bite because of the path it leads down. And for that, I'm very grateful. Thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Carrie Kay. Charles H., followed by John Kay. Thank you, Julie, for your service, your uh, trusted service. Charles H., a recovered compulsive overeater. Man, I love this reading. Um, yeah, the young people. I, you know, I, I think the big book hit it right on the nail. You know, back in them days, in the 30s, early 40s, 50s, um, like a female alcoholic had to be, I mean, like she was probably great if I wasn't there, but I could study the text and, and come up with an assumption that the females were probably gravely affected and they, they took it internally in their heart. I think it's the flip in OA, you know, as compared to that, not to compare it, but to identify, excuse me, that males, young males are like, man, I'm good, man. I'm good. You know, I, don't, you know, I can outrun this thing and uh, I got time. I mean, if you look at our conventions and our retreats, I don't see a lot of young people there. You know, and I like what one of, one of our elder statesmen said, 
this is older than anonymous. It's, it's real. You know, young people uh, feel that they have the energy, they have the power. <laughs> they feel like they have the power. I can identify with that. Like I'm like, you guys making too much of this thing, man. You know, I can just go out run this thing, or I can just control it by not eating at all, or I could uh, turn it on and turn it off anytime I want. But uh, you know, at, with age comes with <laughs> with age comes with you know what like. Because when I was younger, y'all couldn't tell me nothing. I didn't want to hear nothing about no diet or nothing what y'all had to say. And it's the same thing now. We can't go, you know, diagnosing people. The book tells us uh, two pages previously that, you know, step on down to the nearest bar or McDonald's if you have to. Because I, that's what I tell sponsors. If you ain't convinced, you, <laughs> you're going to do it anyway. So me telling you that. You know, and, and and I told a sponsor this morning, I just said, you know, we were conversation in closing. I said, you know, we, you know, Dr. Bob took the steps in one day he, on page 156 in Vision. He took the bulls by the horn, came home at midnight. But if you read his nightmare, it says he asked everybody in the world, hey, who, who knew? For two and a half years, he struggled in abstinence. Asked him, you know, hey, what do you know about this disease? So, and I, I guess, I don't know if he was pretty young, but, you know, we could be young in the mind. And all in the body. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Charles H. John K., um, followed by maybe Chrissy G. Thanks. <laughs> Hi. Uh, my name is John Kierman, recovered compulsive overeater in Los Angeles. Yeah, it, it, what, what Charles was just saying cracks me up because I, I always think the same thing when I read this thing. I said, wow, you could, you know, if we were translating this the other way, you could almost flip it around because. I've been, you know, uh, you know, I started 35 years ago, and boy, we went to, uh, I was starting in Connecticut, and there was a guy named Dale and me, and we were two guys forever, and we'd get one, a third guy for a little while, and then we'd lose him, et cetera, and, uh, and it's just the way it is, but if you're ready, you don't care who's sitting in that room, you just want, you want help, and, uh, you know, a funny, quick little history thing, I, about 20 years ago, I was at an AA meeting where a guy was taking, uh, we, we call it taking a cake. Uh, for 50 years of sobriety, and and you know, so when he got he got sober like 50s, and he said he was 20 something, and he said that the old the uh, elder guys there they treated him like a pet. They couldn't believe anybody would actually be ready to get sober in his 20s, but you know he was ready. And it's in here we you know we sort of have a problem. I I see it in my local intergroup. They keep trying to have young people's meetings, and and they just don't take. They put a lot of effort in, and I God bless them. But it just, it's hard. And I know I came in at 26, but I came in after having come in through AA. I don't know. I'm almost sure. I, I'm i almost sure I might never have gotten it had I not come in uh, through AA. Um, but, you know, if you ask yourself why there aren't more young people in comparison, it's not that there aren't any, but I think a lot of them aren't done eating. You know, a lot of them haven't ate enough pain, which is, again, I whenever I share about why I think this disease is harder than, than other things, is the pain isn't so acute as to drive people to be willing to go to any length. And um, and it isn't necessarily, and I look back to myself, it wasn't necessarily that I really did believe I could do it myself. But, you know, the other problem we have and what makes this disease really hard as well is there's so many alternatives out there. There's so many easier, softer ways. This billion-dollar industry out there trying to convince people, and this is, I know it sounds like a joke, but to have your cake and eat it too, you know? And I know one of the more endearing things Roseanne used to say, um, 
you know, she'd be talking about early days of programming. She said, oh, I, I was, was so arrogant. I would say I thought someday OA would be bigger than AA. And I remember saying to her, no, it, it, it makes all logical sense. There's way more compulsive eaters than there are alcoholics. The trouble is that AA doesn't have a lot of competition. You don't turn on the TV at 2 in the morning and say, look, I'll teach you how to drink all you want. You don't have to worry. We do. We have all of that, that easier, softer ways for bombarding us. And I think that's what happens is young people keep wanting to try every one of those easier, softer ways until they finally realize, wow, there is no shortcut. You know, there's only program. And I see these people here. They've got long-term recovery. Maybe I ought to do what they want. But, and, you know, here in my, our meetings here, there are young people. Some of them had a lifetime of obesity and found a way. Some of them just got so crazy. They just said, I want this noise in my head to stop. Show me how it can happen. And we show them it's in this book. And it's, it's through uh, being willing to go to any lengths, being willing to take direction. And that's really hard when you don't have the same kind of uh, disease that slams you face down. But if you can, you do, you can come in and get abstinent as a young person. Be sitting here, you know, at my age where I still like to think I'm not that old and have uh, 35 years in the program. And with that, I guess. Thank you, Darn Kay. And Jiddy, Giddy G. Followed by Stephanie. I hope I said your name right. Giddy G, are you available? Okay, so we'll go with Stephanie. Stephanie, you're next. Hello? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. can thank you. Okay, thank you. Sorry. This is Stephanie in Recovered in Kansas. We doubt if many of them can do it because none of them will really want to stop and hardly one of them because of the peculiar mental twist already acquired will find he can win out. Um, wanting to stop. I first came in, um, my friend brought me into an OA meeting when I was in college and um, you know, I went with her because I wanted to lose weight, but I didn't want to stop. And um, and I didn't understand the program at all. I was really, um, I, I just, I didn't get it. I just didn't understand. So fast forward 18 years and I was mangled then uh, not only by my failed diet attempts, but um, of the effects of anorexia and bulimia and exercise bulimia. And I was now addicted to dieting and exercising and had the mental twist in relation to eating, dieting, and over-exercising. Um, but this time I, I wanted to stop. I couldn't take it anymore. I wanted to stop. And by the grace of my higher power, I am now free. And I believe that um, my higher power gives me free will and I believe um, that my higher power respects my free will. So if I want to do something by myself, he will not force himself on me. Just like my toddler uh, sometimes refuses my help and she struggles. And I, I think of myself, you know, and how I struggled and struggled for so many years. And, and um, my higher power is just waiting there and, you know, respecting my free will. And, um, and so I, I too, um, you know, I, I've refused that help just like my toddler does. And it was only when I allowed my higher power in and aligned my will with his truly wanting to be free and believing that he also wanted me to be free when I accepted and received the miracle of recovery. Um, that's, that's what I had to do. I just had to let go. 
and um, have that desire to stop. But anyways, with that, I, I pass. Have a great day. Thank you, Stephanie. And who else would like to share on these two paragraphs on page 33? Ziva. Ziva. Okay. Anyone else? Press start. Hi, it's Kitty G. Oh, there you are. Kitty G. Hi. We're, we're going to go with Giddy G first and then Ziva. Go ahead, right, Kitty. Thank, thank you so much. I don't know why I'm having such a hard time unmuting, but I'm glad I'm here. Thank you, everybody, for your service. Thank you. I believe your name is Julie, for the leader. Um, I love this paragraph and the bottom of the paragraph that says several of our crowd men of 30 or less have been drinking only a few years, but they found themselves as helpless as those who had been drinking 20 years. And for me, um, what this symbolizes is another beauty of this program, and that is that this program helps me address issues without me actually attempting to. And in this particular situation, it's the fear of authority because because age doesn't necessarily make a difference in this program, and it's all about my recovery and how I'm working my steps every day, it's very, very humbling and frightening at the same time, or rather it was frightening um, for people that were significantly older than me in, in, in age, but in terms of the stage of the program, they were younger than me, so to speak, and they would call me whether it was for an outreach call, advice to express their fears, um, and and it's very humbling. And my fear of authority in the beginning didn't really let me handle this. And, and now I'm learning that, first of all, it's, it's not about authority in this program, but it's about taking my experience, strength, and hope and recognizing that my higher power wants me to share it with regardless. There's no... There's no there's no age limit and there's no you know I'm not I'm never too young it's not it's not a reflection of my brain how many years I went through school and my college degree that doesn't matter it's a matter of if I am willing to stop eating and and I was um, and I'm so grateful for today I've had the honor to sponsor people that were that could have been my grandmother I'm fairly young I'm 26 and. You know, I've had people in their 60s call me and asking me to sponsor them, and it was very humbling, uncomfortable at first, but then I learned this is not about me. This is not about me telling them what to do, directing their life. This is about me giving over the message that I got, and I can do that with anybody that's willing to listen and that's willing to go where I went to get what I have, and it's and it's such a beauty that this program offers, and I'm so grateful and lucky to be abstinent today, recognize the gift of the program, and to be able to give that message further. Thank you so much. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Giddy G. And Ziva? I might have that wrong, too. No, 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 that's right. Hi, my name is Ziva, and I'm a recovering compulsive overeater from Los Angeles. Thank you for your service. Listening to this paragraph, I had this memory when I was in my teens, I babysat a lot. And I remember specifically babysitting for this one family that the grandma brought a dish that she cooked that had in it an ingredient that I don't know if in this meeting you mentioned foods. Anyway, it doesn't matter. She brought this food and I remember trying it and I couldn't stop. And after the kids went to sleep, I almost finished this casserole and I 
of course, I didn't know then that it will take 30 more years before I would come into these rooms and understand that eating that thing triggered a craving and an obsession that I was completely powerless over. And it took then 20 more years in program to become abstinent. I became abstinent nine and a half years ago at age, like in my 50s. And thank God, you know, for for this program and for the people that have been supporting me throughout, you know, the process. And if when I was in my teens, if somebody would have come to me then while I was so, so powerless and so desperate and tell me that in order for me to be able to be relieved of this plague, I need to believe in a, in a higher power, I would have, you know, kicked them out of the house because... It took all those years to be ready and to be open to the notion that I need to be on a spiritual path. And, you know, I know today from the people I sponsor and from my experience that unfortunately there are no shortcuts. We, we can do it only when we are ready and everybody has a different journey. Some young people are fortunate enough to be open to the message and to the gift at a young age. And some people like me need, you know, 30, 40 years of struggling with this disease to become ready to receive this gift. So I'm very, very, very grateful today for my recovery and for the service that you are giving. I usually listen to this meeting later in the day because Usually at this time, I'm not able to participate, but thank you for being there. Thank you, Ziva. And what is your last, uh, your initial of your last name, first initial? R. 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 Thank you. Who else would like to share on these two paragraphs that were read on page 33? Carlisa C. Carlisa C. Maggie T. Maggie T. Okay, Robin M. Off. Robin M. Okay. So Carly to see Terry KB. Okay. Terry H. Terry Sherry KB. Okay. Let's cut it off there right now. Carlisa C. Followed by Maggie T. Hi. Thank you so much for your service and everyone else who makes this all possible. My name is Carlisa C. Recovered in Washington D.C. and I would like to focus on the words uh, want. Um, the big book doesn't use the word, the verb to want very much. So it really gets my attention. It grabs my attention when it does. Because um, I say, I, and it grabbed me so today until I finally went and looked it up, and I got two definitions. One is to want is the desire, you know, to wish for something to wish for something. Now, when I was in the stark raving madness of my dis-ease of compulsive eating, I wished to be 150 pounds thinner. I wished that uh, I could uh, fit into the clothing that other girls my age fit into. I wished that my life would improve only if I got thinner. Oh, I wished 
that my oh-so-pretty face could be matched by an oh-so-shapely, lovely body. I wished for all of these things. And what I realized is that with my wishing, I did not put any, exert any effort, take any action to be different. Um, Now, the other definition of want, (laughs) and it made me laugh out loud when I read it this morning just a few minutes ago, was to lack something essential. And that is the way I think this book uses that word, to lack something essential. So implied in that is that I have to realize that I lack something essential. I lack something essential. Essential meaning necessary. So, and I think that's what, what, when I finally realized by bottoming out after, oh, 30 years of compulsive eating, probably more, longer, um, at the ripe old age of 49, and after thinking that I had know everything about everything and realizing day, one day at a time in recovery that I know very little about anything, that suddenly I caught the idea that I lacked something essential. And and what this book tells me, sentence by sentence, line by line, is that what I lack is power, real power. And um, and so this exploration of what powerful is in this book is always so liberating for me. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Carlisa C. And Maggie T. followed by Robin M. Okay, hi, this is Maggie T, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Minnesota. Um, So I am 20 years old, and at this age, I found myself as helpless as those who had been drinking 20 years. And I have had many mental health issues, and I can really say now, in many ways, I'm, I'm grateful for the hell that I drove myself to. Because if I hadn't gotten to that point where I needed to do something or something needed to change so that I would, you know, if something needed to change or I was going to die, if I hadn't gotten to that point, um, I wouldn't be in this program um, discovering a way of life beyond my wildest dreams. And I am just so grateful that I was smashed down so hard, even if it was painful at the time, because now I have my my life ahead of me, and I'm just full of gratitude and grateful for you all. Thank you, and I will pass. Thank you, Maggie T. Robin M., followed by Terry H. Hi, this is Robin M. from Georgia. Um, Thank you, everybody, for being on the line today, and thank you for your service. Um, This is a a good, really good reading. and reading back a couple paragraphs too, you know, about the the man that thought he could do it on his own, and then picked back up, um, thinking that he had, you know, gotten gotten better, so he could he could drink without any problems. Um, so when I when I was younger, I'm a little older now. Um, I really hit the the food hard, and uh, and another substance as well. And I'm in a, another program too, and have been around the rooms for about 27 years. And um, I definitely had that peculiar mental twist, even though I didn't know what was wrong with me. And that was the hard part for so many years. I didn't know why I was so different. And I wanted desperately to be 
um, a normal eater and, and, um, and I couldn't be. Um, I uh, struggled for years and years and years in and out of this program. Thank God um, I was introduced to it years ago, but um, I couldn't, I could never accept that I was a compulsive overeater. Um, and I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to. Um, I, I just tried desperately to, to be like a normal eater. And, and that, that was the hardest part for me. Um, and thank God for this, this program and this, this um, meeting of a vision of overeaters of anonymous, anonymous, because, you know, the, the big book and the steps are truly the answer. Um, I never understood working the steps on a daily basis. Um, even though I've been around the rooms for a long time, I, I feel like I coasted for years and years. And, and working the steps daily, um, staying in the steps, applying them to everything, that's the answer for me today. Um, I definitely have that pe- peculiar mental twist, and I have for years and years. And never, like I said, never understood what was wrong. Um, and just I'm truly grateful, um, and, I, and I hope I can carry the message, um, and, you know, by working these steps. And hope, hopefully people won't have to go as many years in denial and um, struggle as I did, uh, thinking that I could be normal. And uh, after, you know, I've passed that, that line of becoming a compulsive overeater. Um, uh, because this is where the answer is, um, one day at a time, you know, I just have today, and um, I have to remember that. I have to do what I have to do today to keep myself sane and um, abstinent, and, uh, you know, working with others um, is a huge key for me, um, and just, you know, having that relationship with a higher power today is, is, is also a huge key for me. Um, and that's where the freedom is, the freedom um, to live, um, feeling, uh, ha- having, I've always been in so much fear and having this program and having a higher power and you guys that, you know, are my support and my love um, with me daily I can make it today. I can walk through this life today where before that peculiar mental twist always got me. You know, I was uh, either, you know, I was in the food or something else and and my my obsession of the mind and in the body would always get me. And um, I'm just really grateful and thank you guys for being here for me today and I will pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Robin M. Carrie H., followed by Sherry K.B. Hi, thanks. My name is Terry H. in North Carolina, recovered compulsive overeater. So because no one will really want to stop and hardly one of them. Um, I remember um, when my bulimia kicked in. I I was in the early 90s. I was in my late 20s. And, um, you know, I had... uh, started um, binging and purging to keep the weight off. Um, I had lost a lot of weight and um, by restricting and I discovered purging to keep that weight off and you know it really kicked in and and I did not want to stop. You know this was a way I could maintain a weight and um, continue you know continue to eat 
binge eat and uh, my binge foods and you know that was that peculiar mental twist um, I had acquired at that time and 24 years later you know um, living my life as a compulsive overeater bulimic and anorexic you know I was insane insane in my disease and um, once I came into you know OA and and somebody had shared with me about OA I came into OA and you know didn't really understand it for a while but I was able to get abstinence Um, that that wasn't too difficult because you know I am an anorexic as well and um, stayed abstinence for a while but you know without getting a sponsor without working the steps and then, you know, my disease, the insanity of my disease, you know, brought me back to thinking, you know, maybe I can do this on my own. And, you know, I was right back into my disease, worse than what I was the last 24 years. And, you know, I finally got down to that point where either I was going to live or die. And, um, you know, I chose life and worked the steps. And with a recovered sponsor, and I'm so grateful for that opportunity and and so grateful to my higher power, you know, um, today I can, you know, really live my life joyous, happy, and free, you know, even when I have irritations, you know, I had several irritations over the weekend, Um, irritated with my nutritionist, irritated with my friend, irritated with my son, and you know irritated with uh feelings and you know and finally you know i'm able to you know get some clarity around it and you know really uh talk about it with my sponsor and my sponsor you know really took me back to the you know the lurking notions that you know i cannot con- uh control it you know my self-will and my self-knowledge i have to you know stay in that pause and, and be still and, you know, seek my higher power's guidance in these irritations and work my program. And, um, you know, there's more work to be done around that, most definitely. But, you know, I'm so grateful that I have these tools today. You know, I'm 50 years old today, and that was back in my 20s. Sorry. And I have these tools today to live my life joyous and happy free. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Terry H. And Sherry KB, you're next. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, everybody. This is Sherry KB in Northern California, a grateful, recovered, compulsive reader. Thanks, Julie. Um, <clears throat> a couple of things come to mind to me in this, these paragraphs is that um, because of the particular mental twist already acquired, we'll, we'll find he can win out. Um, I'll start with that. Uh, my mental twist, uh, told me that, you know, here, eat this, you'll feel better. Um, it won't be a problem. You can just take a few things and then you'll be done. Uh, my mental twist told me I didn't have a problem, um, that I was just an emotional eater, and that, you know, I'll, I'll be fine and I can get the weight off by um, by Sunday. Um, I had all these things going on. Plus, I lived in a house that were full of addicts as well, and they, I would just say they, they, they contributed to my disease unknowingly, unknowingly, I will say that. Here, eat this share, you'll feel better. Um, that was the answer for everything in my house. If you're feeling down and feeling bad, here, eat this, you'll feel better. It's just that they didn't know that I had this disease and that it fed on that disease, no pun intended. Um, 
And, you know, this book shows me that I didn't know what I didn't know, and I couldn't see what I couldn't see. And my self-will was always running the show for a long period of time, and I didn't realize that my self-will was the voice of my disease, um, that it, it would convince me that I could do this and then get right back on track. And, uh, you know, I had some really strong self-will, and little years for years and years and years what was happening is I was beating, getting beaten down and the disease was increasing. It was progressive, and you know it. You know, I, it told me I could beat the game. It told me, you know, I didn't have a problem. I, I didn't have the inability to stop until I couldn't do what I couldn't do any longer. Um, and I felt very beaten down at times. But then I would get back up and try it again. And that definitely was all my disease. Um, the, you know, but getting in this book, you know, my disease is still progressive, but so is my recovery. And um, what I didn't know was that it wasn't my fault. And what this book shows me is that what I can do to own my part and change my life with my higher powers' help. And that I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry KB. I'd like to jump in for one second. You know, we talk about young people, you know, coming into to the rooms. I, I was a, a young person when I first got into OA. It was 1981. So I was um, 21. And I'm glad I did because it was the first time that I got to hear that there were other people like me. Unfortunately, you know, I, I didn't stay in the rooms all the time, fast forward to today. But as I got older and the disease is progressive and it got stronger and stronger and stronger, it's, um, I wish, I wish I would have been indoctrinated into the big book when I came into the rooms at age, you know, 21 because it would have saved me another 30 years of hell, 35. And it's exciting because in in some meetings that are near me, we have young people who, you know, have been recovered since age 17 and they're in their early 20s. You know, they didn't have to be 54 and have a relapse and um, they don't have to do that. They're spared this. So, yeah, you know, we just got to be there and be there for everybody because this disease has no bearing on age. It could be horrific. It was horrific for me at 21. I got up to 300 pounds at age 21. It was hell. But yet, you know, I lost weight, gained weight, lost weight until I really understood the mental twist and that I had to have entire abstinence. Because if I don't have entire abstinence, and any time I pick up those alcoholic foods, I will be face down. And, you know, food is always the last thing to go, which I know that very well. So, yeah, you know, gravely affected. You don't have to wait until you're my age. You know, if you're young, grab hold of a big book sponsor sponsor, and do what this book tells us to do because it has explicit instructions. And with that, I'll pass. We do have time for um, one more share. Leslie W. Leslie W. Yep. Go ahead, Leslie. You'll be our last chair. Thanks. Um, I just wanted to comment um, about the phrase young people. Um, you know, young people may be encouraged by this new experience to think they can stop if you did on their own willpower. Um, I was 30. I'm, I'm 38 now. I was 30 when I first walked into the doors of Overeaters Anonymous. And um, 
you know, I can't tell you We're having a hard time. We're having a very hard time hearing you. Is that better? Oh, yes. Sorry, I'm in a store, so you can probably hear some background noise. But what I just wanted to share was that um, I was 30 when I first came into this program, and I um, I had a, a newborn baby at home. And um, my disease did not begin to manifest until after I, after I had children. And um, once I had my first child... All I would do was sit at home and nurse and eat and sleep and nurse and eat and sleep. And this would go on day after day. Um, I quickly put back on all the weight that I had gained during my pregnancy and then some. I knew I had a problem. And thank God I found OA because I can't tell you how many people come up to me, how many um, older women specifically women in their 50s and 60s and even 70s that, that come to me and say, you don't know how lucky you are to have found this program when you did while your children are still young. I'm still making amends to my kids, and some of my kids are, some of mine are even estranged from me because of the, some of the things that I did um, when I was in my disease. And, and you know, I just have to say, just a shout out, I don't know how many young moms or how many young people are listening on this line right now, but if you're a young mom or if you're a young person, um, let me just say that it can be done. It is hard. It is like walking up a down escalator all the time, but it is so worth it. It is so worth it. Um, I've come out on the other side and, you know, I'm recovered today by the grace of God. Um, and I just want to say that don't lose hope because it can be done. Thanks. I'll pass. Thank you, Leslie W. It is now time to close our meeting, and I would like to thank everyone who participated. Thank you to everyone who shared. We will close the meeting with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And will Becky Kay please read page 164? Yes, I will. Thank you for your service. This is Becky Kay, Recovering Compulsive Overeater from Maryland. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come. If your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got, see to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.